I mean, how many things are completely different that uh, your kids, your grandkids never will experience? You know, I got to thinking, uh, my kids will never know what a wall phone is. They have ne- we've never had a home phone since they've been born, and they will never know what that is. I, I mean, we think about all the different ways that things have changed. For in- another example is, how many of you, maybe you or your kids, ever rode in that little ledge in the back window of your car? You know, I mean, when we seemed to survive, I don't know how it was, but we made it. Um, we, you know, we play in the floorboard in the back seat, ride in the back of the van, ride in the back of a pickup truck, and somehow we made it to, I made it to age 37, and I can remember taking trips in the back of a pickup truck. You know, and we think about, like, for instance, think about shopping, for instance. My dad um, used to tell, would always tell stories about when he was younger, he worked at a grocery store, and when they would go to check out, the cashier would have to call out all the prices, and they had all the prices on little stickers that they stuck And now you can literally go online, order all your groceries, drive to Kroger, and never get out of your car, and they'll bring them to you. Things have changed a lot, haven't they? When we think about social media, we think about the way that people relate to one another. We used to actually use phones to call and talk to each other. Now we mostly use phones to text each other or to check Facebook, and that seems to be how we connect. And if you think about how fast things have changed, maybe we need to ask ourselves today, why do we have the church Considering the fact that we live in this tech-driven society, I mean, can't I just, you know, stay home and just find some videos on the internet and read some books and seem to be perfectly okay um, in my faith walk? I mean, you know, I mean, why in the world do I need to involve myself in, in relationships with people? I mean, relationships are messy and people are needy and, and, and sometimes people get frustrated us. I mean, what could possibly motivate the writer of Hebrews to write in chapter 10, verse 24, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. That was even a problem back then in the, in the first church, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. But this morning, I want us to answer that question. Why do we have the church? Why do we need the church? The past few weeks, we've been looking at the outward purpose of the church. We talked about missions. We talked about evangelism. We talked about meeting the needs of those who are hurting the past couple of weeks. And this week, I want to look at the inward purpose. What does the church do for us? What is the blessing to us as believers when we involve ourselves in the body of believers. Acts chapter 2, let's read verses 42 down through 47. It says, And they, that's the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the, the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, that they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This morning, I want us to see a few things from here that tell us what we receive through the church. What is the blessing to us through the church? And the first one is this. Through the church, believers grow in the word. Go back to verse 42. It says, they devote themselves, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The primary role, the primary responsibility, the primary purpose of the church is to faithfully teach the word of God to its members so that its members could then live by the word of God. That is our number one priority is to teach and preach This book, which is the ultimate source of authority in our lives. 
And a church that does not teach and preach this book really shouldn't call itself a church. It really is better suited being called a country club. We are called to teach and to preach this book. And so the primary reason for us to be a part of the church, to be involved in the church, is so that we can be led to learn this book, so that we can come together as a community to study this book, so that we can then walk by this book. It says here that they were devoted. They devoted themselves. If you were to go back to the Greek, the verb tense there points to a continual action. And so really, you could, you could translate it like this, that they were continually devoted themselves, day in and day out. And to understand what that really means, just think about it like this. Have you ever thought what it takes for a pro athlete to do what they do successfully? Let me just think about this for an instance. The Super Bowl is coming up, and so let's just think about this example. Um, one of my favorite quarterbacks ever to watch uh, was Brett Favre uh, because he could take a licking and keep on ticking. I mean, that man could take some hits and just get right back up. But have you ever thought about those professional quarterbacks and what it takes for them? I mean, here they are, play in, play out. They get smashed, they get hit, they get their bell rung, but yet they, have, they can get up and they can make the play, they, 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 they take the snap, they make the throw, and, and, and get the touchdown. Have you ever thought about what that takes to do that? Or let's think about the NBA. I mean, you know, have you ever seen those guys in the NBA that are just the perfect free throw shooters? I mean, they can hit it 80, 90% of the time, every single time. I mean, they just take a hard foul, their bodies are hurting, they're winded, but yet they can step to the line, the crowd is shouting at them, and sink the shot. You want to know how they can do that? Because they're continually devoted to their craft. Day in and day out, they're practicing. They're in the gym. They're working out. They're practicing the throws. They're doing all the little things. So that when the moment comes, it comes through just like second nature. It's not just chance that they make those free throws. It's not just chance that they make that throw. It's because they've practiced, they've continually devoted themselves. And how can we live out our faith in such a way that when the moments come, it comes out like second nature? By continually devoting ourselves to the Word of God and to being a part of a community that teaches the Word of God. It tells us here in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now remember, at this point in history, they did not have the New Testament as we have it today. It was still in process. This was, this was history in the making at this point, right? And, and so the, the apostles were the ones that were entrusted by Jesus to be the first witnesses, to be the ones to take his teachings and to pass them on to the next generation so they could then be passed on to the next generation. And so what makes up the New Testament is the apostles' teaching. It is what was passed down and eventually penned by the apostles and by those who were taught by the apostles. I mean, take, for instance, that every single book in the New Testament is either written by an apostle or was connected to an apostle. Matthew, John, Peter were all apostles, and Paul was called an apostle. We think about Mark. Mark was, we believe from church history that Mark was writing from Peter's perspective. Luke was a close associate of Paul and was also believed to have spent plenty of time with Jesus' mother, Mary, and that's how he seems to have the ability to write about the birth narratives that, like he does and to write about all that inside stuff that only Mary would have known. And so therefore, whenever we come to the Bible, when we come especially to the New Testament, 
and, and we study from it, we are doing, in essence, exactly what the first church did. We are studying the apostles' teaching. Now, one debate I've had with people before is this. Well, can't I just read the Bible on my own? I mean, I got two eyes. I got a brain. I can just sit at home and read it on my own, can I? I mean, I can, I can get on the Internet, and I can find some podcasts, and I can listen to some sermons. I, I don't need someone else to teach me. I can just stay home. Well, let me tell you why that doesn't work. Um, it, I don't know if anybody in here likes to look at, like, buildings and architecture and things like that, but let's imagine that you did. Uh, what if I walked up to you and I said, okay, uh, you like architecture, so I'm just going gonna, gonna to hand you this, this book on architecture, this textbook on architecture, um, and in a year's time, I want you to build a bridge across the Mississippi River. I want you to design and build the entire bridge, and every single day, thousands of cars are going to drive across this bridge, and lives are going to be on the line based on your ability to build that bridge. Do you think you could do it? No. Why not? Because it takes more than just reading a book. It takes more than just my single brain reading a book to really understand it. You would need people to teach you, right? Something as complicated as architecture. You would need someone to walk with you through the process. You would need more than one set of eyes looking at those plans, making sure that everything was done correctly. You would need someone who's going to catch your mistakes. Well, God has given us the church to be the place for spiritual instruction to take place, to be a group of people who gather together to teach one another, to, to walk with each other through the Word, to catch each other when we're veering down the wrong paths. Um, in fact, it's absolutely necessary um, that we have these things. And, and yes, we need to read the Bible on our own. We need to be studying the Scripture on our own. We, we have to study the Bible on our own. We cannot grow without it. But we also need to be taught the wisdom of others. You know, it was interesting. Um, this past week I was reading a study that was done by Lifeway Research where they, they went out and they found um, a bunch of people who were growing in their faith. They were, they, they were spiritually mature, leading, leading in the church, those kind, of, those kind of people, people that you would look up to and say, these people are living out their faith. And they, they surveyed these people and they said, what did you do when you were a child and when you were a teenager? To try to figure out where there's some things, some habits that were built in their life early that led them to be where they are today. You know what they found? The number one thing they found was that those individuals early in their life built the habit of reading the Bible themselves as a family and in the church and praying themselves and as a family and in the church. And so we need to be in the Word. But you know what else they found? That those people that were growing were surrounded by adults and friends who were also walking with Jesus. And so we need to be in the Word, but we also need to be with others who walk with us in the Word. Now, don't think at all that you can get away with saying, you know what, I'll just, I, I, don't, I don't really need the church. I can, I can just come every now and then um, and be totally okay. I believe those who choose to do without the reg, regular teaching and preaching of Scripture will find themselves suffering from spiritual starvation before long. I believe they will find themselves spiritually malnourished before long because of what they're doing. You know, with this new year... Um, it's a new year, you know, you always kind of think about your health and stuff, and I've, I've kind of been thinking, you know, I, I need to start exercising again. Um, and to go along with the exercising, I decided I was going to go on this new um, eating plan. I don't, I don't eat real healthy. Um, I don't eat a lot of vegetables and stuff. I'm not, I'm not a real good eater. 
Um, I'll meet, eat mostly junk food, but I thought I'm going to eat a little better. So this is what I'm going to do. Uh, I've decided I'm going to eat absolutely nothing. That sound a good plan? I'm, I'm just going to eat nothing at all. I, I figure I should be okay. Um, I, I'm like, I should be able to survive perfectly fine. Eat nothing, drink nothing, plan. It'll be, it'll be cheap. It'll save me a lot of money, won't it? Well, maybe that won't work. So what if I just like, maybe I'll just eat on like Christmas and Easter and Mother's Day and Father's Day and big holidays. That sound like a good idea? What about maybe like once a month, twice a month even? That's, that's pretty good, right? No, 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 no. It wouldn't work, would it? I would starve. And if we would starve physically, how could we think that we wouldn't starve spiritually if we weren't daily feasting on the Word and on a regular basis being taught the Word by others? We need the Word, and it's through the church that believers grow in the Word. Jesus told us in John chapter 8 that believers will abide in the Word. And so I would say this is a warning to you, that if there is not a hunger in you for the Word, if there is not a thirst in you for the Word, I would challenge you to check your heart. Because Jesus said you'll want it if you're a believer, and that we will want to be together. Second thing we see from this passage is that believers, that it's through the church that believers grow in community. It says once again that we're, we're continually devoted They devoted themselves to fellowship. Now that word fellowship is kind of a churchy word. We don't really use that word in our everyday lives outside of the church. But if you were to go back to the Greek, it's the word koinonia. You know, if you drive down here on Macon, just past Pisgah, there's that church koinonia. And that word means fellowship. It it, it literally means a common life. It is that act of, as a church, having a common life together. Now, sometimes we use fellowship as like to describe an event. We say we're having a fellowship. But that's not what fellowship is. Fellowship is not an event that you put on a calendar. In fact, fact, you can have a fellowship event and no fellowship being going on at all. Fellowship is a relationship. True biblical fellowship is to identify with a group of believers and to join in life together. That is fellowship, to walk alongside one another. And I believe that's where we have a breakdown in the church because we can fill seats with people, but not everyone is truly experiencing the fellowship of the church. We can have a whole lot of attenders, but not nearly 100% of those people truly belong to the church. You see, there's a big difference in simply attending a church and belonging to that church and being in fellowship with that church. You see, you see we, we have this problem all over the America, probably all over the world, of people who simply just want to attend church, check it off the box, and go back home to their regular lives. Those who attend church are those who are here physically, but we're not, you're not really involved in the life and the ministry of the church. You're receiving, but you're never really giving. You're being served, but you're never really serving. You're like a sponge who constantly soaks up water, but you're never being used to do anything. It's kind of like those people that see church as a restaurant. I'm going to go around town. I'm going to find my favorite restaurant to go to, my favorite church to go to. I'm going to go there. I'm going to order a service off the menu. I'm going to come in. I'll drop a little money in the offer plate as my payment. I'll go home, and I never have to wash the dishes. Christ has called us to belong to the church, to commit ourselves to the family of the church, just like we would commit ourselves to our physical blood family. It's to show care and concern. It's to pray for one another. It's to give to meet needs. 
in the church. It's to lift up each other. It's to mentor others. It's to sacrifice for one another. Look in verse 44. Let's see how it's described here. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, before you think this is some kind of communist society here where they were taking everybody's possessions and redistributing the wealth, that was not the case. You see, in communism, there's no voluntary thing there. It is forcefully taken from you because some ruling party has decided what you can't have and what you can't have. But here, it was voluntary. The church would see needs... And people would sacrifice of their wealth to meet needs. We see it throughout the book of Acts. They would sell things, they would give things to meet the needs of the church in different places and in different ways. That's fellowship. That's community. Not just simply sitting in a chair, but being a part and seeing the body of Christ as family. But for that to happen, we have to be willing to commit ourselves to body. This is about committing your time and your talent and your, your tithe and your energy to the body of Christ. But just like it's dangerous to live outside of the teaching ministry of the church, it's also dangerous to live outside of the fellowship of the church. In fact, I believe that when you do place yourself outside the fellowship of the church, I believe you are placing yourself in Satan's crosshairs. And I believe that is how Satan takes down Christians. He can't steal your salvation, but he can steal your walk. And he can steal your joy. And he can steal your passion for Jesus. Several years ago, I remember watching this um, show on Animal Planet. You know, these shows where they show like the different animals and predators and prey and all this kind of stuff. And it's always someone um, who talks really quiet. And they're like, oh, we see a herd of buffalo next to the river. And they're drinking at the river. And then suddenly the lions come in. And you know what happens next. The lions begin to try to attack these buffalo, right? Because they want buffalo for dinner. But when these, when these buffalo were all herded up on this show, the lions had no way to get in. They would lower their heads and they would begin to charge at the lions. And amazingly, as strong as these lions were, they were scared to death of the herd of buffalo. But then they saw one buffalo who had separated from the herd. You know what they did? They got between that buffalo and the herd. And they separated that, that animal out, and they pushed him farther and farther away. And then they began to, to chase after it, and one would grab its leg, and one jumped on its back, and then they finished their job. But how did they do it? Because that one animal had separated himself from the herd, had separated himself from the group, and had made himself a target. The Bible tells us that Satan prowls around like a roaring, roaring lion, seeking one to devour and I think this is how he attacks the church. There's a lesson here for the church. I believe that one of the ways that Satan takes us down is by separating the church, by broken fellowship. He does it in different ways. Makes somebody mad at the church. I can't believe church people are like that. I'm never going back to a church again. Makes them angry. Makes them feel like, they're, they, you know, like you know, they didn't get their needs met or their, their feelings are hurt. Or maybe, the, maybe it's a person who says, you know, I just don't have time to go to church. My life's too stressful. I just need to take a break. I'm just going to stay home. And he separates them from the body. And then once he does, he intensifies the attack. But just like those buffalo found safety in numbers, we as the body of Christ find strength in our fellowship as we pray for one another. 
as we hold one another accountable, like it says in Galatians chapter 6, as we walk through difficulties in life together, we need the church because we need fellowship. And then lastly, we find that through the church, believers come to worship. It says that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And later in that, in that section, it talks about in verse 46, and day by day, they attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. And, and so that phrase, breaking of bread there, most likely referred to the practice of the Lord's Supper. And when it talks about their prayers, it's not just talking about the fact that they would get together and pray, because it says they're the prayers. And so I believe it's actually talking about organized times where they gathered together in worship. You see, what the, new, what the early church would do is they would gather in the temple courts because the temple courts could hold thousands of people. And so they would find a section in the courts and they would gather together and one of the apostles would begin to teach and they would come together and they would sing and they would worship and they would pray together. Or in other times, as we're told here, they would gather in homes and they would sing and they would pray together and they would worship and they would take the Lord's Supper together. They would gather for communion together to reenact what Jesus had done in his last hours. They were committed to worship. Worship was important to them to come together, to be together as the body, to worship, to pray corporately, to lift up one another. They were very dedicated to this. This was not just something they did once a week. They, they did this constantly. It was a public display of their faith as well as a private time of spiritual growth. And it's a reminder to us that worship is not something we simply attend. It's something that we do. That just as they were committed to worship and praying together, it's something we must be committed to do, to come together and to sing songs of praise to our Heavenly Father together as the body of Christ, to pray with each other as the body of Christ, to open up the Word and walk through it together as the body of Christ. We must work worship. In fact, we will worship. The Bible says that, that every person worships something. Jesus talked about how, you know, that everybody is going to live for something and that whatever we live for will eventually consume us and then if it's not Jesus, it will fail us. I read a while back a, a quote from a man named David Foster Wallace. He's an American writer, but he also happened to be an atheist. And before his death, he, he spoke in a, in a college commencement and he, and he gave an address. And I want you to hear what he said, because even though this man is an atheist, I think what he says is, is absolutely true. He said this, he says, In the day-to-day in -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And pretty much anything you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are what, what you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age show, or start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, and you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need even more power over others to keep fear at bay. Worship your intellect, be, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. Even though that man's an atheist, I think he's, ring, he's, he's hitting something true. And in fact, he was actually reiterating what is said in Psalm chapter 115, verse 2. It says this, Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does all that He pleases. Their idols are silver and gold. 
the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. We become whatever we worship. Whatever it is we set our lives to worship, we will become. And if it's the world and what the world offers, we will become like the world and it will consume us. But if we spend our time worshiping the Lord and giving ourselves to the Lord, we will become more and more like Jesus Christ, which is exactly where we need to be. It was the church father, Augustine, who, said, who wrote it like this. He said, you have, you have made us for yourself, talking about God, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until it rests in you. This morning, have you found your rest in Jesus? Are you worshiping the Lord, or has something come in between you and your Savior? Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to this time of invitation, and we think about what we've studied today, what we've read from your word, we know that we need the church. Because it's through the church that we find community, but it's also through the church that we walk hand in hand with you. That we are the bride of Christ. So Father, I pray for each and every person in this room who is a member of this church. I pray that they are truly living within fellowship of this church. I pray that if there are ways or situations in which the devil has begun to push them away and to break their fellowship and to make them feel like they're an outsider, whatever's out, God, I pray that you would reveal how they can be drawn back in. If it's a situation where they need to recommit themselves to the body of the church, I pray that you would give confidence there that that's what needs to happen. But Father, if there are those in this room who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they would hear the call today to rest in you, to worship you, to commit themselves to living for you. And I pray that they would understand that they can do that by trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to give them new life, to forgive them of their sins. And I pray they would commit themselves to making Jesus Lord, master of their lives. Father, as we come to this time of invitation, God, have your will, do your will through us. And it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.